the process of learning who one is requires some level of self-reflection, obviously. Um, and I think it's possible to spend a long time looking for the right question that one could answer to find out more about who one is. Um, but I think through a combination of exposure to a lot of to a lot of different um, scenarios situations you know this is these are situations where we can maybe have an idea of who you are or how you would act and it's not until you're exposed to certain situations that you get a sense of actually who you are hi happy new year Lou is here i hope you're as excited as i am about 2021 today on swapping shoes i had the pleasure to chat with fling disney that was a different one, longer than the usual episodes, but very special in many levels. Fling is a parkour practitioner and coach, sharing a completely different perspective from the previous chats. I learned so much during this conversation, and I really hope that you will too. So let's get into it. This is Swapping Shoes with Fling Disney. Hello Fling, welcome to Swapping Shoes. First of all, could you tell me a little bit about you and about what you do and what you've been up to recently? A little bit about me, although I hate doing these. I, I'll do it for uh, I'll do it for Lewis. Oh, cute! Thank I'm you. I'm a practitioner of parkour now for thirteen years. I started when I was thirteen. I'm twenty-seven now. Uh, and this time, I've been teaching for about eight years. And about uh, maybe four years ago, I felt that parkour is not a very viable path to work in. So I invested in um, studying dog training and became a canine behavioral consultant for a number of years. And this was fascinating. This little adventure opened up a portal into seeing the whole process in a, in a very different way, understanding it more on the level of the of the organism rather than just the um, the uh, kind of ego, let's say. I'm an autodidact, which means I'm a, I'm a self-taught person. Um, I'm a university dropout. So uh, yeah, everything that I've studied has come from some kind of problem that I've encountered and then tried to understand in a thorough way so that I can actually affect what is what is going on with the people that I'm working with or, or friends or loved ones or in my own life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested in a number of different things. Uh, I run an exploration group. Uh, exploration is a concept that I've been working with for about two years now. Uh, the basic idea is just moving, moving towards things you don't fully understand. Um, things where you can't fully predict the outcome, but feeling safe enough to um, actually and go and investigate, uh, not be sort of in fear. So now we're applying this idea to the application of uh, scientific theories, proven theories into, uh, into movement. So how can we integrate these fascinating ideas that have been um, shown to be true uh, how can we use these and apply these to maybe increase performance or uh, improve the way we teach or just sort of reach our, our collective potential in, in some real way. So beyond this, uh, recently I started working in this uh, kind of online self-employment space. So trying to 
uh, give people the tools to craft their own journey into uh, working online, which I really see as one of the few viable options for most people in uh, 2021 and beyond. So I really want to see my friends, my peers that I've grown up with, you know, not living in little, little huts around the world, but actually having enough uh, prosperity uh, that they could potentially raise a family if that's something that they wanted to do. And uh, beyond this, um, obviously working with parkour, online coaching, and uh, training as, as, much as, uh, as much as I want, which varies, but um, I'm quite excited about uh, 2021. I feel like it's going to be a good year for movement. Very excited to uh, practice parkour through this lens of exploration. So that's a little bit about me. Wow, thank you. Very interesting. It's also nice to have uh, something different than just purely parkour athletes, but people who are investigating in a deeper level. So other than that, how are you? Yeah, I've been, obviously I was with you in Portugal quite recently. And uh, since then, back in London. And yeah, it's all a little bit different. Um, very, very different place. Very different vibe. Full lockdown, right? Yeah, full lockdown. Finding my internal state is, is so different to how it was a month ago, particularly when I was in the south of Portugal. You know, being in the sea every day and seeing every sunset and then coming back to this very kind of lockdown um, vibe, lacking a better word. This grey kind of damp, this, don't you feel like that, that influences us so much, that sunlight and the chance to see far ahead. And then when you're in a big city everything is great yeah. i feel completely trapped when i'm in a city like london or amsterdam where it's so um, gloomy the weather and i cannot see so far ahead because of the weather or because it's so flat i really feel like restrained of my my feelings and my existence <laughs> how, how was the year for you tell me pros i don't want to know cons because we yeah, you know, yeah. Th then we can tell me other cons but pros yeah, man, I, I, I've been very fortunate um, in, in a lot of ways. I, I feel I've had a kind of um, period of accelerated growth as stressful times often bring. You know, it's like um, a classic where uh, um, there's like a hundred years of technological innovation between 1939 and 1945 when World War II. It's like suddenly there's this sort of stress mm -hmm. becomes this need for growth. And I experienced something like this um, over the last year, just a lot of um, opportunity for reflection, refining what I want to, to do, um, thinking about legacy, things like this. Hmm. Your legacy in parkour or in general? Yeah, in as wide a context as possible, I always try and think about these things. And I mean, we're, we're at risk of jumping into the deepest end um, right off the bat. Maybe we want to warm warm up a little bit first. No, no, come on, come on, let's go for it. Come on, come on, okay. <laughs> Whatever you feel like talking, sharing. Yeah, so I'm thinking a lot at the moment about this idea of um, like bringing value to people. Um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot over the last few years. Like not just to, um, it, it just doesn't feel, I think, right for any of us to perhaps be exploitative or to do things that um, uh, don't kind of resonate with our own values, our own kind of morals, ethics, stuff like this. 
Um, so yeah, I've just been thinking a lot about how to uh, create value and share value and gain value back in a way that feels like it, it genuinely brings something to people and um, might have this sort of positive ripple effect. Um, I think we, we never know how far our actions extend. Um, and so in this sense, it, it, for me, it's really important to, yeah, I guess, do things in a kind of genuine way. Um, uh, assuming that, that that genuine way is, uh, I guess, a genuine positive way. But then, yeah. When you say values, you talk bringing value to people, you mean about a, like a virtue, like a spiritual thing or value in a sense of uh, what you do? Uh, has a value to society because I was reading uh, your article that you sent me and you're we're gonna get into it about the bringing value to, value into the the market of parkour by the education and stuff like this and about money so are you talking more the, about the value money or the value uh, spiritual this is a I think this is a kind of accident I believe this is an accident of the English language that we have the same words here. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's understanding. Initially, what I was saying was value in the sense of like um, uh, bringing benefit to people, bringing like something useful to people. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in the second sense, I meant um, value, like uh, consistent with my values in the sense of consistent with my uh, ethics, morals, stuff like this. So it's, yeah, a, a very awkward <laughs> language thing. So it's good that you pointed that out because it's confusing. How is how do you think we can reach that? The, the process of learning who one is requires some level of self-reflection, obviously. Um, and I think it's possible to spend a long time looking for the right question that one could answer to find out more about who one is. Um, but I think through a combination of exposure to a lot of to a lot of different um scenarios situations you know this is these are situations where we can maybe have an idea of who you are or how you would act and it's not until you're exposed to certain situations that you get a sense of actually who you are um i think this would be one side of the kind of process of uh maybe learning a bit more about yourself um but it, it, i think it has to be through a process of uh yeah, kind of clear self-reflection. I'm sure there are protocols. Well, one of the things that I did in the beginning of the year, uh, in the first lockdown, I was thinking a lot about this. Like, I, I have a lot of people um, who I'm very close to in my life and uh, positions that I've been in in the past where I felt very sort of lost adrift in life, as, you know, I'm sure everyone listening to this has at some point. And, uh, yeah, experienced a sort of need for some kind of guidance. And I think there's a lot of um, sort of justified skepticism around perhaps the people who would give that guidance typically. It's like there's not really these um, kind of structures in place anymore. So being <laughs> the uh, arrogant and industrious person that I am, uh, it created a kind of framework based on some ideas of like Carl Jung, uh, Jordan Peterson, which look at um, uh, yeah, asking some questions, refining some processes for uh, kind of looking at who you are. So it asks like, who do you admire? So this idea of the uh, the golden shadow. 
it's like the kind of creative positive aspect of yourself that you suppress because it's kind of scary to have these things so you sort of um, suppress them in yourself and project them onto other people and then the idea is that you can discover what some of these things are by um, uh, you, you can sort of discover these positive aspects of yourself by considering you know, what you admire in other people it's like if I like for example when I ran through the process myself I realized that really admire people who have this like uh, conscientiousness this ability to just go like okay i'm just going to do this thing i'm going to do this like bit of training or i'm going to do this like this work or i'm going to write a book and then they just go and do it like this for me is amazing it's like a superpower um and so i gave myself this as a kind of trait to um to try and practice in my own life gave myself some tasks to do to um get myself towards this and, and this I think was quite a helpful process so I think this is quite a nice way to do things. Um, do you think that meditation or some sort of silent uh, self-empathy practice can help you get into this place? Did you use any of these uh, methods also? Yeah it's something I've also been thinking about a lot. Um, the group so i run this um research group uh which i've been doing for the last two months um and uh we've been looking at this idea of the cutest way to describe it is um the quieter you are the more you can hear so it's a sort of principle mm. it's called the weber fechner law it's this um sort of underlying structure of the way that we um, perceive sensory information or any kind of information, anything to do with awareness, that um, essentially when things are louder, when things are more intense, we're less able to notice small changes within those things. So it's like going into a, a busy cafe and trying to listen to a single conversation. It's like, it's pretty difficult. But if you're in a quiet cafe with a single person, it's quite easy to precisely hear what they're saying um, and there are many other examples if it's not clear I can give a million other examples of, of how this applies <laughs> yeah, but one of the one of the ways it's like um, it seems also in terms of self-reflection it's like when you're in whatever sense having a kind of intense inner experience like maybe there's a lot of external stresses on you or you're just living somewhere like Amsterdam or London, maybe it's like in these sort of intense places. It seems like it's quite difficult to be self-reflective in, in some sense, to um, to uh, to listen to oneself in some important way. Like it's not so easy to, this is something that I, I've thought a lot about. It's like, um, it's, it's not that easy to answer the question, how do you feel? Um, it's a question that we ask a lot, but I think for a lot of people, you say, how are you feeling? And they say, I don't know, or or maybe they'll say more likely is they'll say, fine, yeah, I'm good, fine, yeah, good. Yeah. But it's like there's so much happening in 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 our mind and our body. There's so much going on, but we don't really have the language to kind of process it or the um the kind of volume intensity that we can actually um, hear anything. But I think we also maybe don't have the language to to process what we do here. Um, and we also don't have the compassion to ourselves to let these feelings become 
communicative language you know right. I, I for me it seems like every time someone will ask me how do I feel uh, either I will say I'm good or eh, I'm alright and I will just go into this if something is actually really bothering me I will just go into the the very brief things that happened recently like oh I slept bad last night and that's all but you know you don't actually get to listen to yourself so much and then tell this to a close one even feeling safe enough to give that sense to someone it's all the, none of these things are simple um so yeah i i, I guess I'd, i could give you a sense of like to answer your initial question like some of the stuff i've been doing this year and maybe gives a little bit more context to kind of who i am and what i'm interested in as well because i'm interested in quite a lot of different things and uh it's a little hard i think to pin these things together in it so um uh after the lockdown um in london um i started promoting and running this um uh, exploration session so it's a kind of a class loosely a class structure like loosely hierarchical like i was leading the session but trying to do it in a very open way but the main principle the main idea is that each week we're going into a different location in london and i don't know where we're going to go i i, I don't know where we're going to end up it's it's like as much as possible like just open random um and uh authentic like trying to kind of create this like genuine like this kind of authenticity machine like a um a kind of something that can consistently produce like new experiences um and this idea was kind of inspired by um looking at these ideas of kind of chaos and order and what is it to be in an unfamiliar situation like what does it mean to be um to be in a situation where you can't predict what's going to happen and this is something that we're in a sense we're kind of globally emerged within this sort of thing um but it's also something a little bit different i think to have um uh this uncertainty but also a sense of um positivity a kind of sense of hope like this is the idea of exploration is um positive uncertainty it's when you're in a situation where you can't predict what's going to happen but you feel safe enough that you can move forward and kind of check out all of the areas that you don't you, you don't understand um and so this was fascinating this was really really cool um it was very popular which was quite unusual for a parkour class um usually these are getting sort of like i don't know six or eight people in london this was getting the, i shouldn't say how many people it got because it was way more than the insurance covered at, 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 at a few points but um um it was it was interesting to note how popular it was it it seemed to be really mm -hmm. speaking to something that that was there um and uh yeah this was a fa fascinating experience and So this exploration group that you're saying uh it was a parkour class. Yeah. So it, it was founded on parkour but slightly stepping away from like parkour. Um I also ran a little experiment within the experiment. Well, I ran several experiments within the experiment and one of them was to invite people who hadn't done any parkour before. I ran this um this session for I think four months until the winter. Um opened it up to people who didn't have a direct parkour background people who were maybe like generalist practitioners or 
uh, hand balances, dancers, like we had a really kind of wide spectrum of, of, uh, of people. Um, the idea was to kind of give a lot of responsibility to the to the students, to the to the people getting involved. I think um, a, a lot of the time a, a teacher is maybe kind of overzealous to um, take that responsibility all onto themselves. Uh, it's sort of what we see is like, this is the right thing to do. And obviously sometimes that is the right thing to do. But um, what I found was that giving people this sense of like, I'm only loosely, like me as a teacher, I'm only loosely guiding what you're doing. I'm giving you suggestions. I'm giving you maybe some feedback. But ultimately, I'm just kind of giving you the environment. Um, it was very interesting that we, we had zero uh, zero injuries, apart from one guy who um, uh, broke a, a thing that he was walking on, but he was totally fine. Um, uh, but there was a sort of interestingly low rate of people falling and people getting injured. Um, which I also have the sense that uh, a lot of injuries are coming from like mentality. Something I'd love to hear your thoughts about. Um, maybe like uh, like for example, when I was in Lisbon, uh, I smacked my knee really hard um, in chaos. Like the first first training session in Lisbon, it's like feeling pretty good in my body, and then I had a moment where my I think my focus drifted a little bit, or I was trying to look cool in front of uh, Jan and Camilla or something like this, like something like that. And um, like took off from a thief bolt and thief clear over those two walls. And like, I think I was like too close in my takeoff to pop over, but I tried to pop over anyway because I had this idea that it would be a cool thing to do, you know, this kind of thing. And uh, like smacked my knee pretty hard and I'm still, you know, I'm still feeling that. And so for me, this is an example of, um, of uh, like an injury that comes from the from the way that the mind is or the way that the, the feelings are, like this kind of thing. Um, or, 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 or a sort of disconnection rather, a disconnection from from um, uh, from what one is actually feeling and experiencing or wanting. So uh, you, you call this group uh, the exploration group and it took me a while for me to understand that this was a class or a guided training, guided session um so you're what seems to me from what i understand is that you're giving full autonomy to the practitioners that are with you to figure out what they want to do and how they want to explore the world in, on their own right and to feel what they want to do and then you just tell them guide them instead of giving the full technicality or is that the word of teaching this is how to do that or that you just leave them explore this by themselves was that your, your goal yeah so i'm the way that i've trained for like a really long time has been very much focused on technique so i'm always very reluctant mm -hmm. to like totally abandon this idea of, of um of like that there are kind of ways of doing things that make it make it easier um so usually the way that i would run the session would be um kind of yeah so meet at the station random train station in london run maybe for five ten minutes uh, maximum always find something because london has this like amazing density of spots it's like unbelievable and um, and uh yeah once you found something just usually i'd create a task something like um maybe 
with a technique in mind, like here's an opportunity to work on strides. So it's like, here are some things that you could do. Uh, here's the kind of like more giving constraints because it's like, it's a real thing. Like if you give a kid like a blank piece of paper and you tell them to write the story, like, you know, you, you, you're going to get total junk back. But if you give a kid a piece of paper and you say, write a story and you kind of constrain, cons give them some, some kind of constraint, like you have to use this word a bunch of times and like, not to say like, this is exactly what you have to do, but just to give some kind of boundaries. It's like, this is usually when the more interesting things happen. Um, so yeah, this is kind of the idea is like to give some constraints, to give some, uh, tools. So like, I would say a stride is like a tool. Uh, and then I think what you do with that tool is, is the interesting thing. So that's sort of how it would go. Mm, that's very nice. Yeah. And so you, then you were talking about the, the mentality that will sometimes accidents happen because of your mentality. And I, I can tell me, tell you from that from my experience, most part of the bails I had happened during jams and or big events or for example I remember so many times i was in for a lot of movement that i didn't feel like moving because there were so many people i was not in my zone and i'm not confident enough and i'm not um comfortable enough to get into the flow state of training that i usually do here in lisbon and it was not even twice or three times it was several times that at this moment i would hurt myself not hurt myself but fall somehow it and i feel like uh it's something that i could work on also because i was not ready to put my mind in the zone because i was not ready to uh, distract myself from the external inputs uh, but it's also something that i am very happy with that my training vibe motivation comes mostly from myself just from me alone or with two or three friends and we're just chilling but then i also think what if uh, i'm actually just thinking so much about other people that when i'm training with them or with other people then my mentality is not is uh I'm, I worry too much. It's like an ego thing. I'm just, I'm just too concerned. So the whole idea of me training on my own and that's my flow state is completely like debunked or even justified. I need to train alone because I don't, I, I care too much about people. I, I think something to, something to work on would be finding a way to still be sensitive to how one is feeling in those social situations because as we all know social situations are potentially quite intense like you have a lot of other people's thoughts and intentions and there's a lot of things a lot of kind of inputs coming into into you and um I, going back to what i was mentioning earlier this um idea of the quieter you are the more you can hear it's like when you're maybe in the middle of a jam this is not a quiet place right um in any sense so I think there's a there's probably a level to which you could find a way or, or, or develop a way to um, kind of reduce the, the intensity of those experiences. Um, I, I can't see how how one would kind of systematically approach this, 
other than yeah kind of connecting to um yeah connecting strongly to how you feel in in these moments in everyday moments practicing this sort of full body connection like i think it's really something to just you know whoever's listening to this right now like just to take a moment and just consider how your body is feeling just to give yourself a full scan from your head to your toe and take a minute um i think this sort of practice is kind of zero pointing just getting a kind of baseline sense of how you are and then maybe you can go like you know you're in this jam situation and you're kind of like uh yeah i'm, I'm actually you know do i want to move do i not want to move what do i want to do and then you scan your body and you kind of sense like actually yeah there is this kind of excited energy that i could use or perhaps another situation you scan your body and then you realize there's a kind of like anxious anxiousness or something like this maybe there's something else and um i think it's always good to dip a toe in a sense of like kind of testing out how how you're actually feeling based on kind of reality but um here's a question for you it's something i've been kind of exploring is this idea of like um uh, visceral feedback so like what the body does um perhaps uh, like um the the question that I have that I still don't have a super clear answer for, um, but anyone here can, uh, can can chime in on this. I'd love to get more data points. Um, does the body, uh, kind of how much does the body know? So do, do we do specific things within our hearts, like with specific kind of contractions or movements within our, within our viscera, within our organs, when we're experiencing specific um, things, let's say. So for example, I, I, I I ran a workshop in Germany where we did this zero pointing, so kind of meditation, like bring everyone everyone down, get a sense of kind of how your body's feeling. And then uh, I got the guys to a group of maybe 15, 20 people to go and try and find a jump that in this amazing setup in the, in the Ruhr Jam, R-U-H-R, with uh, Felix and, um, I forgot to say, Felix and Tom. But uh, so mm -hmm. got everyone to, to kind of calm, uh, get a sense of how their body is, go into this space and try and find a jump that would elicit either a increase in the heart rate or a contraction in the gut. It's kind of like wave. So I think it's called a parallax. It's sort of like, um, yeah, this sort of tension in the, in the gut, in the lower, the lower abdomen. You know the feeling? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And um, once we did this, it took maybe five minutes to kind of go and see, like, if I really consider doing this jump, like, how does it make me, how does it make my body react in this way or this way or something else? And so I got everyone to come back and we kind of reported on this. And then it was like, cool, okay, now go and try and do the jump. Like, see what happens. Like, um, uh, like work, at that, work at that process, like bearing these things in mind. And what we found very consistently, and this is what I've observed, is that um, usually when the heart rate is going, it's like, as long as it's not going totally crazy, this is maybe a sign that your body is kind of detecting that you can move forward, that you can kind of do the thing. There's some level of like, okay, I can feel that my heart is going. Um, there's some level of like, kind of excitement, but safety, kind of regulated mm -hmm. excitement, something like this. And then there's another point of like when your gut, your, your gut is like churning and contracting and waving and you've got this sort of like really clear sensation in the stomach. The experience of the people was 
fairly consistently, if I remember, or very consistently, if I remember, that when they had this gut feeling, they were not able to move forwards. They were not able to do the jump until they practiced it enough. They got enough exposure that they felt it in the heart and then they were able to do it. So it's like, mm. what does that mean? <laughs> I have a sense of what it means. We could talk about that. But I would like to hear your experience with this, if that's something that resonates for you or, or if, you, if it's totally different. Oh, this is very interesting. I really like this. Man, you have to put uh, some research on it, some heavy one. Also with some heart um, monitors and maybe some... That, that's probably a way to monitor your, your gut activity, right? There's got to be Yeah, something. that's not one I've thought about, actually. Yeah, There's like heart rate variability monitors and stuff like this. But yeah, I'm gone. Um, I can... I can probably tell my experience with the difference between guts and heart not only in a parkour level but also on a personal level and how this is the the way that my body from uh, doing a, a zero point of scanning my body and my feelings and my emotions uh, how this can tell me exactly how the level of uh, readiness that i have so usually it's it's actually true. If usually if my heart is beating really fast, it's easy to calm down, breathe, relax, and see clearly. And if my guts, if I feel this cold in the belly, in this kind of discomfort, uh, then it's probably something being out of my control. Maybe this has something to do with people buying toilet paper when the pandemic started to come out because we feel like we don't want to we don't want to lose control over such a primary need of ours. I feel like maybe if I'm too scared of something, I really feel this uncomfort on my gut. It's almost like I'm shitting myself. It's a thing. <laughs> so I really hope that you'll go on with this study on parkour because it makes a lot of sense and it's really nice to hear that uh, there there are so many um i think one uh yeah we could probably get some more information like i'm 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 not an academic uh i'm i haven't been to university i've been self-studying let's say for the last uh four years um i started working with animals um then moved after doing this for a couple of years, back to parkour, which I've been training for about 13 years. And so I moved back to teaching, but then I had this sort of new perspective of like, what is going on at the level of the, of the organism? Like what is, um, what are the things going on that we don't have a super direct access to? It's, 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 you, you sort of have to have a level of awareness to even ask the question, how does my gut feel? But then maybe once you ask the question, you can actually be, be aware of it and what is the context of this what does this maybe imply it's a kind of a different question um so yeah i'm i'm just interested in in um in the things that i don't understand um in in the things that are, are kind of unexpected um the things that don't initially make sense um that we that i've maybe that have kind of come up in in my own um uh personal practice or teaching practice with parkour or working with working with dogs um and just sort of try to get a deeper understanding of these things and uh yeah 
I have quite an obsessive nature. So it's like, <laughs> once I kind of pour into something, it's like, great, cool. That's, that's my brain for the next like, few months. Beginner's mind also. You just want to learn as much as possible and it's good for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, the stuff with the gut, I think, is is fascinating. Um, I've thought also a lot about this idea of uh, intuition, something we could speak about. Um, like, what is intuition uh, in a entirely non-spooky way? You know, like, people are often talking about intuition as this, like, kind of um, slightly magical thing. And it's a little bit magical, like, it's very interesting. Um, but it's not magical in, in that sense. Why don't you think it's a magical thing? I think it's magical in that it's something that we don't understand that gives us more than we know we have. So in this sense, it's magical. But I don't think it's magical in the sense that um, it's operating on a different set of laws than the ones laid out by Newton or Darwin or anything like this. Yeah, yeah. it's completely scientific. I also think yes, yeah. intuition is pretty much, in my opinion, is just... Uh, estimates yeah it's just your brain calculating things according to your experiences and then and you feel like that but it's my opinion i don't have any academic backup yeah i, I would say you're, you're totally right it's um there's the, the way that i understand it it's through the somatic markers hypothesis which is laid out by a guy called antonio damasio he's a very cool italian neuroscientist but his idea was that we have um uh, kind of various levels to the to the organism and um, um, one of the kind of older levels is just sort of is not really conscious it's a sort of reacting to things and and these reactions come from kind of things that have happened before uh, experiences Evolution. yeah in, 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 exactly as you said we have a, we have an experience this informs how our body reacts at this sort of um, uh, unconscious level like there's so much happening within our body but we detect a very small amount of it that small amount that we mm -hmm. detect we then kind of label maybe as like an intuition so for example um mm -hmm. yeah if i put my hand on a hot stove uh that gives me a lot of pain i'm gonna have a kind of body memory of this somatic meaning soma meaning body um then the next time i try and put my hand on a hot stove even if i want to I'm going to find it quite difficult to do this, um, th this kind of thing. Or, or better, we can just use parkour examples because this is a parkour podcast. Um, if I do, uh, <laughs> it's a good example. Um, let's say, uh, it, let's say like a like a pole cap, like I do a pole cap, and I do it a bunch of times successfully, and then the next time I land and I like slip out, and I smack both of my shins. It's like pretty painful. It's going to take a bit of effort for me to do that jump again because my body's going to have this sort of memory of like, well, you did that last time. It didn't go that well, did it? So, you know, what, you know, it, it, we're, we're biased towards <laughs> staying alive and uninjured. Um, so that's, that's, I think, the kind of primary um, goal of our nervous system, in a sense, is to keep us alive. Um, and uh, there's a sort of battle there, I think, with parkour sometimes because we're um, entering into situations where, you know, we have this sense of our body where it's like uh, our body is kind of asking, like, do you really want to do that? And, our, and maybe we have an idea that we do. <laughs> and so there's this kind of conversation. And um, this is something I'd also love to talk to you about. It's like um, uh, I've come to see this whole thing of breaking jumps quite differently. And I'm not sure that I've settled on the way that I see it. But... Um, 
something that I used to give a lot of attention to uh, in earlier days of practice. So a typical day training for me, I would probably do like four jumps, maybe like three. Um, maybe I would do a few kind of like warm up jumps or something, but I would just spend all my time going like some like just I would find something that would scare me. And, and I would just stand and I would like look at it and just figure it out. And then I would, and then I, and, until I could do it. Um, I think this is, uh, I think there's some value in like pushing these boundaries, but um, it, it seems like a lot of the time we're, we're actually, what we're doing is we're sort of fighting our intuition. Progression is uh, somehow completely counterintuitive because if you always do the things that your in, in how do you call it? In, in, intuition that your intuition um, already tells that it doesn't even require intuition you just go for it you can just do it without thinking it's completely second nature the progress will only be physical but not mental my experience is that um it, it, this is also a really really interesting question it's like uh, what is progression um because I would, I would argue that progression is not just doing more difficult things, although there is obviously an element of this, um, mm. but it's also being able to do more difficult things more easily. Um, and we could look at that through a physical perspective, like, do I have the technical and physical capacity, like strength and flexibility, um, to do this thing easily? But we could also maybe look at it in a kind of like psychological or um, like emotion-based, like intuition-based um, um capacity let's say so like can i look at this um let's say like high up rail precision and can i can i know that i can do this know that i can do it safely and do it in a pretty calm way or am i gonna like feel like i'm gonna shit myself you know like <laughs> this kind of thing yeah, yeah. um so like i think this is another way like just sort of positively feeding this intuition um through good experience mm. um do you, do you move when you're moving? How much do you feel this like gut sense? Do you, do you feel it like 1% of the time or like 0% of the time? If you feel it, do you just step away or do you keep moving? I think it's exactly what you said you did with your students or the people you were uh, researching with. Um, when there's something that scares me a lot, like right now I'm going through a process that I'm, I am putting myself in very uncomfortable situations and most part of them give me this um, gut feeling that the uh, intuition saying that no i'm not ready yet so it's my stomach like no 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 no, no. Um, and i think that the process that i do for, for f to get over this is um just putting myself in exposure exposing myself to things similar um but not in that exactly same setup so if i'm thinking about doing a cat pre and it really gives me the, this tension in the guts. I will try to not focus so much on it if I'm too scared or if I feel like I'm not ready. And I will do something similar to it and build it up until I know that my body can handle it. And then I will go back there to, to see if whatever changed on my guts. But I think this is like, is, is also part of progression. <laughs> uh, you're, you're increasing the, the range of of intuition ah, and also being able to hear that being able to pay attention to um what signals your body is giving you 
I think this is also something we could describe as progression in a sense. It's like, um, yeah, when you see someone who's moving in a very reckless way, like it's um, it's it's interesting to I don't know it's interesting to see this, but but you're saying that uh, when you see someone moving in a very recklessly way, this happens to me a lot, and I and I when I train with people that I know that they are not so experienced with training but they are very courageous to try crazy things because they know that their body can do it and they just go for it and they just just try it uh, recklessly yeah and this sometimes feels bad in the gut of the one that's watching as well right like you've all seen <laughs> someone do something and you're like oh one of the things i'm very interested in is uh, uh, just learning essentially um uh, I've been working as a teacher in various capacities for seven or eight years, uh, working with parkour, working with, um, I guess, canine education. So like teaching people how to teach dogs um, and uh, teaching is, is just, I think, much more uh, unsuccessful than people tend to like to believe. Uh, that's my opinion. Maybe I'm just a bad teacher. But, um, it, it, it seems to me that a lot of the systems that we have set up to teach are, are, are perhaps more... At some level, not, not succeeding in the way that we might hope. Um, and it's interesting like to think about for example the difference between uh, how one might teach language to how one might learn language like a, like a child learns a language through just raw exposure being in a situation um absorbing 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 um testing maybe getting a little correction stuff like this but then when you teach it's like okay do this a bunch of times and it's a very like sort of top-down process um, mm -hmm. And so this variable that you just mentioned um, of exposure seems to be this kind of like key factor for the learning process that we're not really maybe thinking about so much. It's like, um, it's yeah, it's, it's interesting that um, it, it, it's, um, it's something perhaps more to, uh, if I'm my intention with teaching, is more and more um, facilitating an environment from which the learning can kind of emerge and then also giving the context for why the thing is important. So it's like kind of maybe helping people find the motivation for understanding the thing for, or for doing the thing, giving like the context, giving a narrative um, and then kind of giving the, yeah, creating the, the situation and then also giving maybe like, um, uh, like volume, for example, is an important factor for learning things. Like it's not enough to just do something once. Like you need quite a lot of something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think this is an interesting one. Um, thinking a lot about um, the teaching process in parkour. Um, it's like a lot of, a lot of what I've experienced of this process. And I'm sure I've done this a lot myself as well. It's sort of like modeling the teaching process on maybe the school systems that we were brought up in or some kind of like image of what like an old school martial arts academy would be like or something like this but it's quite kind of like drills drills orientated and um 
it's yeah it's interesting just to see how different this way of learning is or this way of teaching is from for example how how we presumably learned which was through a much more um explorative process do you think that we are that parkour needs a different method of learning than martial arts or other sports or disciplines i think it depends what the intention is mm, wow what a good answer <laughs> this is a really good answer yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you um yeah um if you're yeah i mean be, being like realistic if your intention is is to learn like a you know some kind of basic mathematic formula it's like then maybe you don't want to give someone this kind of like wide situation if it's like in a really specific situation that they need this knowledge it's like yeah maybe you can be a little bit um um uh kind of regimented let's say in that process but I, but i would say for something like um if if the intention is something like um uh self-development discovery exploration um which are like these tremendously huge um sort of subheadings like there's so much that can fall under these things then i would say the 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 the, the process has to be orientated towards like real uh, learning and, and giving people the the um potential to think and the potential to be aware um uh, yeah um very inspired by uh, krishnamurti's work if you do krishnamurti so no. really interesting yeah really interesting um indian kind of rationalist mystic mm. so he's like i think he was a bit kind of reactionary to um a lot of the uh, kind of like charlatan mystics that were coming over in like the 60s and stuff from india 50s 60s um so he's ve he's very like pragmatic he's very like rationalist he's like really concerned about um like truth and um and uh like real teaching like not just saying like do this this is the right thing to do but like how can we help people think how can we help people become more aware um and yeah i'm finding that these values are <laughs> really resonating with me um yeah yeah, yeah. and i think with pop oh, wait, actually I'll, i'll say one really interesting what, what mm -hmm. i um I put this together. I don't know if anyone else has, has um, put this this bit of the puzzle together, but I find this fascinating, and hopefully this will inspire someone to um, check out Krishnamurti's work. But we could sort of say that um, Bruce Lee is the godfather of parkour in a sense, right? Because he's obviously inspired like David and Sebastian a lot, and a lot of like the Jeet Kune Do kind of efficiency philosophy. I would say is like bled into parkour. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. The thing is that I'm not a big martial arts hero kind of guy, but I I think I culturally, yes, it makes sense to me. You're right. Yeah, yeah, culturally. And um, and Bruce at some point um, was like very sick in in bed or his injured his spine or something like this, and uh, he read a bunch of Krishnamurti books, um, about um, about like truth and. Uh, I don't know, whatever, whatever else he read about. Mm -hmm. And uh, after this period of, of kind of studying his work, um, he like totally re like th this is where this is when Jeet Kune Do stopped being like just another martial art. He was like, 
oh actually like what is this sort of like efficiency path like what is the what is the most efficient way to get from your goal to to get from where you are to where you want to be this sort of thing um so yeah it seems that there was a really strong influence on bruce lee's work from krishnamurti so in in this sense i I feel that krishnamurti is actually the great godfather of parkour Um, Ah, okay i have to check him out Uh, teaching people how to learn it should be the the perfect way of not teaching people how to learn just like showing them that they the tools that they can use to find their truths i think this would be the perfect method of teaching parkour is not only learn the lazy is you see this what about this where, where can you put this you know like kind of like music again i always find music analogy um you can teach people how to play a song and they can cover the song but you can also p- just show people how to play a note or a scale and by knowing this note and having the note in their heart and the scale in their heart, they will be able to use the scale and the note as a form of communi- of language of themselves, of talking through music. And if you just teach them how to play songs and covers, they will just speak through someone else's mouth, uh, someone else's instrument, someone else's music. I, I like the, like I like some of the stuff Jason's doing, like it's, that's all fine, but um. There's, I think there's a difference between like just purely uh, like I know he was doing some like rail flow videos where it's like here's a flow that you can practice I think that's a really nice idea but uh, but I wouldn't but yeah I would maybe put that in this context that it's like there's a difference between um saying like here is parkour do a parkour like do this sort of thing versus like here is access to like a bunch of these chords and then you can just sort of like play with them and rearrange them but again it's sort of context dependent because I think if you're given the context of um, like here's a song, um, learn this basic song, and then you can improvise like, uh, and then you can rearrange it. Like if you were taught um, um, how to play Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles, and then you know, you, and then you got like pretty good at playing, and then and then your teacher said, okay, your next task, you have an hour just to try and rearrange like this specific part of the song. Like you, you would probably learn more from this process, but it's like, yeah. So, so just my point there. I think it's a lot about the, um, the uh, the context that you're taught, and this is again so much about who's teaching you. Um, what I notice, what I've noticed over the years, it's like the people with the best students are generally the people who are most passionate. Um, seeing Marcia in uh, in Porto, it's like, you know, you've seen uh, you've seen Rafa, you've seen. Um, Gaspar. Gaspar, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's like they're amazing. They're very much obviously like they're, um, they're smart kids. And I, I briefly met the mum, and she seems very intelligent, very aware. Um, but it, to me, it's like I, I got to see Marcio teaching as well, and he teaches in a very like authentic way. It's like very genuine to what he's doing. Um, very relaxed. It's like kind of jam jam setting. Um. But yeah, to me, it seems like the, uh, the the passion that you put in to into not not even the passion that you put into teaching, but just the passion that you have will probably come through. And then equally, if you if you don't have that passion, is it going to come through? It's like maybe not. Um, so yeah, I, I think teaching is is this really broad thing that we speak yeah. about in a very casual way, but it's actually this like very deep, complex thing with a lot of responsibility and uh, and uh, yeah. 
Fling, there's so much to talk about to you, man. It was so good to hear you. But it's going to be the longest um, swapping shoes I've ever had. One hour so far. And we still haven't done TikTok. Do you know TikTok? I gave you two options. You have to pick one of them. Okay. And also, I want you to make a little introduction about yourself because we didn't even talk about you. You yeah, just yeah. talked about... <laughs> Welcome to my stuff. brain. Straight up. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Okay. So I give you two options. You just pick one of them. All right. So flat or cushioned shoe soles? I'm going to go with cushioned. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Rails or walls? Rails. Front flip or back flip? Front flip. Ilabaka or Vorislav? Ilabaka. <laughs> okay, that's it. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so what are, what are you up to now? You're going to keep going, going with your exploration group. Um, you have your articles up now. You have a new one about uh, the value of parkour. Um. I've got um, uh, three projects that I want to, to um, but yeah, th there are three things that I'm doing right now. One is uh, working on the exploration group um, at the end of the month. Uh, we'll be starting a new theme focused on the um, the sense of threat and safety, which is like a lot of what we've been speaking about. Um, so looking at this thing through a scientific lens and trying to apply some of these ideas, try and apply and experience some of these ideas. Um, and then I'm also working on a kind of mentorship program for helping uh, parkour athletes to start working online because the world is totally fucked <laughs> um, and there are no guarantees and there are some unique benefits to working online um, and yes yeah, essentially I just want myself and my peers to have some kind of potential opportunities moving forward mm -hmm. later on in life as well so um, yeah that's uh, where most of my focus is and then on, uh, online coaching as well is um, something that I'll have more mental space to focus on but that's also something I'm something I'm putting together so yeah that's that's me for them. And are you gonna come back to Portugal? Or are you gonna stay there in the UK? Well, I, right now I don't have a choice because um, we're uh, <laughs> we're locked down. We're double locked, I think. Brexit, virus, oh. Brexit lockdown. <laughs> yeah, we're triple locked because we've got the Brexit, we've got the lockdown, and we've got the new virus strain. So Ooh. we're triple locked. You have double lockdown of Corona and Brexit all at once. Triple because the, all of the flights are closed because there's the new new variant of the virus has come from the UK. So we have yes, triple lock. Great time to be alive in the UK. Yeah, it's a great time to work because there's nothing else to do. So <laughs> expect productivity. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Good time for new opportunities. For sure. Feline, thank you very much. It was a pleasure, yeah, man. Thanks really, so much. really, very much. Uh, happy New Year's. I hope you enjoy your evening. Um, and I hope that 2021 will bring us together and that you're going to achieve most part of your projects Thank you. and of your goals and just learn more. And I, I hope, man, maybe we can do a part two of this because I think there's so much more that you can yeah. talk and share scratching the with surf. us. And I want to hear that. Yes, which is scratching the surface. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, man. Thank, Thank you. you. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Thank you for joining uh, and once again, Happy New Year. I hope you guys are going to enjoy it a lot and let me know what you think about this conversation. Tell me your opinions and let's help 
Flynn to, to get some data for his research. Guys, see you next time. Stay strong. Have fun. PK for life. Ciao.